Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Jason Harrington are investment advisor representatives offering advisory services through Satara Investment Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Satara Advisor Networks, member FINRA, SIPC. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Shoemaker Financial is located at 2176 West Street, Suite 110, Germantown, Tennessee. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to today's program. We've got a program lined up for you today that's going to give us some opportunity to look back at 2023 and look forward into 2024 with Rusty Leonard. He's going to go through that whole update and uh, really help us understand what we should be thinking about as investors for 2024. And in the second half of the program, Scott Jordan and Jason Harrington are here. We're going to talk about pitfalls that really, how do we avoid these pitfalls? What are they and how do we avoid them? Very good program. Well, our first guest, we always thoroughly enjoy having Rusty Leonard with us. He is the C- he's a CFA, he's a founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, and uh, just always brings us a lot of information that is so important. Rusty, welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. It's always a great pleasure for me to be with you, Jim. Well, you know, I tell you, we uh, it, it's just, I've got so many questions, and you've given me some ideas and some thoughts, and I guess the question that's on everybody's mind that I really want to hear your answer is this recession that we didn't have last year. Now, if you go back, Rusty, and you look at The Economist in December of 2022, about 60 to 80%, somewhere according to what you read, were predicting that a recession was going to occur in 24. How was it avoided? We didn't have it, and can the U.S. economy, you know, the global economy, continue to avoid a 2024 recession? Well, really, some of the global economy already is effectively in a recession or very, very close to that. Uh, but the, it is, it's a real head-scratcher for, you know, investment professionals uh, for how we avoided one last year. Uh, the indicators that are so trustworthy that they had predicted every uh, recession previously that we, you know, rely on and pay close attention to, uh, none of them worked out. This is the, the first failure of the of these indicators, which I won't get into because that would take too long. So it was quite a shock that we didn't get that recession. But in terms of why we didn't get that recession, well, I think a lot of it has to do with the government spending. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're sitting here at very low unemployment rates, historically low unemployment rates, and yet the government is spending money like a drunken sailor. And it just doesn't make any sense. That's not the way it works. The government usually runs up its deficits when, uh, you know, things are really weak, when we're in a recession, not when we're at full employment. And so this is just bad economic policy, but it has had the benefit of helping the the economy avoid a recession, at least temporarily. We doubt that's going to last forever. You know, when you talk about this government debt, we had one of our listeners send us a question, and, and I think it's a great question. He says he wants us to address the national debt. And, and, I, and I think that's a question on a lot of people's mind. And is it sustainable? And you talk about when I think of what we what causes a debt is a lot of times it's, uh, you know, recession that could cause, you know, we you know, put money into the economy or a war. And we really haven't had that. And yet this we continue to grow. And I know the pandemic created some of the debt, but it seems to be out of control. In fact, the, the, the listener is saying, is it an, an 
unsustainable? And again, he's kind of implying that it is. And why don't we just kick it down the road before it crushes us? And I think it's a good question. So I like your take on this. Is the government debt where we are today? Some economists say we spend our way out of it. But I don't know if that's I'm not, not sure the shoemaker household could ever spend our way out of debt. <laughs> so I'm not so sure the government household could do that. What's your thoughts? All right. Well, I think your listener is a very wise person. Uh, that's definitely uh, true. It's uh, it's unsustainable, and I think anybody who follows these things closely knows that this is unsustainable. Again, as I pointed out in answering the last question, it's just. And you hinted at as well. Normally, you spend a lot of money when you're in recession or in a time of war. And we are not in either of those circumstances. And yet we're spending money just hand over fist. So that's unsustainable. And many uh, I've quoted in my market updates that I send to my clients, many luminous investment strategists, you know, who have good track records over long periods of time have started to raise the alarm over this and how this has come about is as a result of the pandemic spending. Uh, we approved so much money in some of those bills, the Inflation Reduction Act, haha, ha <laughs> yeah. back then, and, and infrastructure spending and all this stuff. We spent so much money and gave, gave the uh, president authority to, to spend so much money that he couldn't spend it fast enough. So there's still a ton of it left over, and that's what's being spent now. And obviously it's being used partly for political purposes to avoid a recession and to gain reelection for, uh, for the Biden administration. Uh, so those are all those are not good reasons and that it is unsustainable. And, you know, for most of my career, Jim, this question would come up and people, you know, for my whole career, and I'm sure your whole career, there's always been a concern about too much government spending. But in this case, uh, you know, I, I, I in the past, I've always kind of you know, said, well, yes, we're spending too much, but it's not like we're at the brink of a problem. I think we're getting close to being at the brink of a problem now because of the unsustainability of it. And basically what that amounts to is a loss of confidence in the investor class in the government's ability to, you know, to manage its own finances. And we're seeing that again with Congress, you know, not addressing the issue. And, you know, we got problems on the horizon. It may not be tomorrow, but before too much longer, this is going to be a big issue. When you talk about a big issue, I guess why, you know, when you talk about that, I'm assuming a big issue. If you look back in history, what what we, we forecast a lot. I mean, you know, we have been doing it so long time and, and both of us. And I mean, there's all kinds of shocks or, you know, unprecedented things that have happened all, all the way back to Carter's years with hyperinflation, OPEC, the oil embargo, the idea behind, you know, Volcker and Reagan fighting recession. I mean, raising rates just going crazy because to buy a house, it was 15 percent interest, you know, for a debt. I mean, all those things are unprecedented when we talk about it. Is this different? I mean, when you think about it. Is this something when we say recession, when we say the debt, the national debt's out of control? I mean, is that when, when is that different than what we saw in the seventies and eighties? What we saw in the early twenties, the dot com bubble, you know, all those things that happened in the nineties. I mean, it's like everything we hear is unprecedented. I guess that's a word that I'm kind of dragging out of the closet and saying, here it is again. Is this unprecedented? Well, it is in the sense that uh, the unsustainability of the U.S. government finances, that we have never really seen that before. There was always so much strength in the U.S. economy that uh, you didn't really, uh, you weren't too concerned, even when you knew what was going on at the time, spending-wise wasn't that 
uh, wasn't smart, but it wasn't so uh, deleterious that it was going to just destroy us at some point in time. Well, I don't know if this is going to destroy us either. Many countries have had uh, debt problems, unsustainable debt problems, and uh, they eventually address them. But there would be there, there's ultimately a crisis that forces change. Right now, as we as I just mentioned, Congress isn't really addressing the matter. Uh, they're just approving uh, spending at these levels. And there are some congressmen who are saying, stop, we've got to shut the government down, all that kind of stuff. And I have some sympathy for that because this is a, you know, it would be better to cut this off at the pass rather than having a major crisis at a later point in time. So we probably will have some kind of crisis at some point in the future or surrounding this issue if, if there isn't proactive measures taken. But it won't, it's not necessarily going to be a crisis that uh, leads to, uh, you know, poverty across the land or something like that. Okay. It would be a problem. It would cause the markets to get pummeled, but uh, I don't think the, con- the country is still extraordinarily an extraordinarily strong economic and military power, and I don't see how that's uh, going away, unless the Lord decides to pull the rug out from under us, well, he can do it anytime. Yeah, he can do that anytime. We are a resilient group of people, though, and uh, we've lived through some pretty, pretty tough times in the past. So, all right, let me, let's change subjects because I think we've answered that question. I hope our, you know, our listener appreciates the way we answer the questions. And again, anybody that's got a question, just send it to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989, and we will address your question. Here's a question that I, I, I've got, and I think it's because it's uh, on, the, on the tip of everybody's thoughts and the media seems to talk about it, rate cuts. I mean, 2024, we are we going to see as many rate cuts as, you know, it seems that maybe some people are predicting? Is the Fed going to follow suit? Or what, what you know, there's, there's six cuts, there's four cuts. There's, I mean, nobody seems to give us any straight answer. I'm listening for a straight answer from Rusty Leonard. <laughs> okay. Well, the market, less I looked, I'll give you my best straight All right, there you right, go. in an uncertain world, in an unprecedented and uncertain world, right? Yeah. The, um, so the market currently, if you look at the futures and all that, uh, last I looked was suggesting we were going to have seven rate cuts in 2024. Uh, the Fed is saying three. So the market's running well ahead of the Fed. And, uh, and But the weird thing to somebody like myself who studies this stuff is they're market suggesting all these rate cuts, which suggests a recession, right? You don't usually have seven rate cuts in a year unless there's a recession. Uh, that, that's, you know, it indicates that there's a kind of a panic cutting going on, right? Every meeting you have a rate cut of the Federal Reserve and in order to get the economy, you know, juiced up again. Well, uh, but at the same time, analysts are forecasting the corporate earnings are, are going to be up 12% or something this year. So you can't have a recession and corporate earnings up at the same time. So we have a, a real mess in the market right now where you're, you're predicting two things at the same time, right? The, the market is running, one large part of the market saying, we're going to have all these rate cuts. And they think it's because inflation's coming down and, and there's not going to be a recession. We're going to have a soft landing. Maybe that happens. That is a very rare uh, thing that ever happens. So uh, you really, if you're... If you're uh, you know, trying to play the odds here, you don't want to be playing those odds because those odds are very long odds. But you can't have both earnings up, interest rates down, reflecting a recession. So I, I think one of those two things are, are likely to occur, and I think the recession is much more likely. Okay, recession much more likely. That's a straight answer. I like that. That's good. I have a question about China. So, so, you know, so what that means is those... In, what that means is those interest rates probably will come down if the Fed reacts to the recessionary force. There you go. And I, I think that's a positive, and uh, I appreciate you you know, putting in such easy-to-understand language because, as always, the best thing about Rusty Leonard, he is a very good communicator. 
and we are always excited about having him on the program. And I guess I'd like to ask this question. I had thought maybe I wouldn't, but I'd like to lead into it about China. I mean, their economy seems to be on the rocks. I mean, in trouble. And, uh, you know, we know they manipulate their economy and they move things around. What's your take on that? Are they going to, how, are they going to affect the rest of the world or are you looking at uh, stability there in the future? What do you see? Well, they are the second largest economy in the world. So anything that happens there will have an impact on the rest of us. And what they've experienced lately is three months of deflation. So they have they don't have inflation. They got deflation. Their, their price levels coming down. They have a recession. Uh, they just surprisingly, they just started reporting uh, youth unemployment again. And it's been above 20 percent. And so, again, you can see the refl- uh, the inflation. A deflationary and recessionary type environment that's going on in China. And as you pointed out, it's terribly understated. Uh, they, I, you know, we know that the, the data is worse uh, than you think. Even Apple has had to discount its uh, products over in, in China right now because uh, wages are actually starting to fall in many cases <clears throat> because there's an excess supply of labor, all those young people. And so they're in real, they're in a much worse shape than what the world understands. At least that's my opinion, right? I can't prove that. That's my opinion is that the economy there is much worse. And as that economy uh, deals with that, and they have tons of debt, and we've already seen their housing uh, debt start to go belly up, uh, that's not going to affect us super directly because it's contained. The debt problem is largely contained within China. Uh, It's not something where a lot of our banks are exposed to it. But It'll still have ripple effects throughout the global economy, and it's a, it'll bring another recessionary force to our shores and Europe shores and other places, and is already doing that. You know, when you talk about China, the world, globalization, uh, let, me, let me bring it home to us in the last question that we have time with, and I always appreciate, Rusty, your time. It, it's an election year. I mean, you know, recently, Iowa, we headed to New Hampshire, we go, you know, all around, and we got just all the, you know, the implications of, you know, an election year. And we hear people talking about, well, what happens if Trump wins? What happens if Biden wins? It seems to be that's going to be the two candidates, maybe, maybe not. A lot of time between now and November. Do you think they're going to end up uh, being candidates that's going to end all of this garbage that's, you know, running our government at this point? Is there somebody that can come in and bring us to a middle road? What's your take on the elections? Well, the first take I think that's important for people to realize is if you look historically, whether it's Republican or Democrat, uh, over time, the markets go up. And so we probably put a little bit too much value on the politics, especially in election years as investors, more than we should, because the market just has a tendency to go up uh, over the long run. And throughout a four-year run of any, or eight-year run, depending on the president, uh, the markets tend to go up. So if you look at the averages for both Republican administrations and Democratic administrations, they're not all that different. And uh, despite all the different policies that they bring in and, and that, they're now same time. You know, uh, well, let me get to address the second question. I can't see how Biden actually ends up on the ticket. I just don't see how the Democrats are going to abide that, uh, given his incredible weakness, uh, both as a chief executive running the country he hasn't you know distinguished himself all that much but also physically and mentally is it's just it's just impossible i mean they they can't abide that they have to do something i don't know what they're going to do i don't know how they're going to do it but something's going to happen uh and he he can't be on the ticket so uh, that's my personal opinion and if he is on the ticket i mean i think that almost certainly would secure a trump victory uh because how can you vote for somebody in his 
state at the moment, yeah. right? So, um, so that's my my conclusion. Now, Trump himself, he's not a young man either, and who knows who knows if uh, he doesn't encounter some kind of health problem. And he is under immense pressure on every front, and it's uh, you know, I, I think he has to go forward just to uh, have a chance of defeating these folks that are trying to bring him down but uh he looks kind of worn out to me in some ways uh his victory speech was not you know full of vim and vigor in iowa so uh you know we'll just have to wait and see whether either one of them are on the ticket but i suspect trump will be on the ticket for sure and uh biden i don't think will be but there are uh, i know we don't have much time but there's there are meaningful differences the trump's tax cuts and everything will expire in 2025 so it's important uh, if people like the, the tax cuts that they are now enjoying from his previous administration, that he or another Republican wins, because if Biden wins, uh, those taxes will likely be going up. Well, that's a, that's a great point. Well, it's always a pleasure, Rusty. You do a fabulous job of bringing us up to date with what's going on. And we look back a little bit, but we also look forward and, uh, into 2024. He does a, again, I just appreciate how you communicate with us. We're going to be talking in just a few minutes about some pitfalls, and we'll tie some of what you've been saying to us and the pitfalls of investing and how that ties into some of the comments that you've made for us today. Rusty Leonard, he is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, and always a pleasure, Rusty, to have you on the program. You always do a great job. And by the way, uh, I don't know, but do you need to catch a plane? I know you got a grandbaby coming, like uh, ASAP, I mean, the next couple of days. Yeah, we're in overdue territory right now. So first grandchild. So, yeah, we're pretty excited here at the Leonard House. You know, I tell you, I have got five grandkids. And the reason why you don't kill your teenagers, they produce grandchildren. Bottom line. <laughs> All right. That's right. Okay, my friend. Got, got to invest for the long run. That's right? right. Invest for the long run. Work out a strategy. No question about it. Have a great time, Rusty. Congratulations on your grandbaby, okay? Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Yep. Always a pleasure to have Rusty. You know, Scott, he did a fabulous job of talking about, you know, I mean, when we think about recession and we think about all the things that he was going through, I mean, he put it in perspective that, uh, you know, probably, maybe, but again, we don't we don't lose focus on the long term strategy. I agree. You know, the the fact of whether we are or are not going to head into a recession in 2024, nobody really knows the answer to that. You know, you go back to 2023, most of the experts were predicting we would. Even Rusty was kind of saying he was surprised that the normal reliable indicators gave, you know, so far a false signal. We don't know that they've given a false signal, but... Uh, you know, I, it goes back to to my theory that we have been in a rolling recession. We have seen parts of the economy that have, that have really been down. You know, you got to look at manufacturing, housing, and other areas. Th- those were definitely in a recessionary period. We saw a lot of corporate earnings go into an earnings recession. So I don't I don't think you could say the indicators were completely wrong. I think that with today's services being such a large part of the U.S. economy, that is really what has propped up the country over the last 12 months. And I do agree with him as well. Fiscal spending has been a large part of that. The government has been spending a lot of money, so I think that helped us. Now, whether that's the right policy or not, I think we'll have to look back on time and see. I I do agree with him that we don't normally spend this much during a uh, a non-downturn or a non-crisis period, but maybe that keeps us moving on through this. I agree, and I think I want to talk about debt when we come back after the break. Jason, what was your take? 
I, I like the, your question about unprecedented times. Uh, yeah, I remember the first time I heard unprecedented. unprecedented. <laughs> I, I had been in the business for like three months and I heard <laughs> unprecedented times and I was kind of worried. And since that, over the last 23 years, I've heard unprecedented, unprecedented all the time. Many, it's many overused, times. but it yes. sure does ring a bell. It does. It does. The unprecedented time that is going to happen again. Well, you know, I think uh, just a thought. It's it's good to listen to Rusty. He gives us uh, kind of the facts and he doesn't, I mean, he, he's. He, you can tell he leans maybe a little bit in one direction or another. He's managing a lot of money. And so I expect him to have a mindset of what he's doing. And it's always good. So when we come back after the break, I want to I want to kind of listen to you guys and listen to what you think about the government debt. Because that was the question from our listener. He did a great job of talking about that. But we'll find out. I kind of want to dive into that a little bit deeper because it's on everybody's mind. And uh, we'll talk more about that. If you just tuned in, of course, this is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. My guests, Scott Jordan and Jason Harrington and Rusty Leonard, did a great job helping us out. Stay with us because when we come back, we're going to talk about pitfalls that everybody faces when it comes to investing and how to avoid them. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. The views depicted in this material are for information purposes only and are not necessarily those of Satera Advisor Networks. They should not be considered specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Rusty Leonard is not affiliated or registered with Satara Advisor Networks, LLC. Any information provided by this individual is provided entirely on behalf of Stewardship Partners and is not related to Satara Advisor Networks or its registered representatives. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest is Scott Jordan, and he's always here, does a fabulous job. And Jason Harrington does a fabulous job as we talk about some pitfalls. But, Scott, I want to go back and talk a little bit about this debt thing. This, I mean, this is uh, on everybody's mind. It's unprecedented. <laughs> I mean, there goes that word again. There goes that word again. But I was thinking the other day, in the 60s, there were three assassinations of leaders. This is a terrible time in our country. A lot of civil unrest. There's a lot well. of civil unrest in the world. A lot of, lot of issues. Then we had the 70s with... You know, hyperinflation. Then the 80s turn around and we got this continued hyperinflation. Then there's a word called stagflation. What is stagflation? Uh, you know, an economy that's dried, you know, going into the tank and inflation's going out of it. So right. you can't get the GDP to grow, but yet you got inflation out of control. I mean, that's a hard time. That's the last time that's we tough. had stagflation was in the 80s. Those were tough times, unprecedented times. I was waiting for it. <laughs> we had a presidential impeachment. Which, exactly. You know, he was impeached for what now would probably win him an award. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's amazing Re-elected. how you know how things have changed, and those are. And I mean, here's the issue: it's over and over and over. And we, I mean, I've been in this business long enough to know that I you can't forecast the future. You can try, and as we talked about, the Economist in 2020 predicted recession. It didn't happen. And, you know, some of the leading indicators that we rely on seem to be wrong this year, which are things that, you know, and I don't want to get into, it's, it's, you know, I think Rusty mentioned it. I don't want to get into the weeds. It's not necessary. We've just gotten things that we've looked at in the past, and it doesn't seem to be 
playing out. Is that different today, Scott? Is that an issue that we need to be concerned about? Well, I, I think it in many ways, yes, it is different. I mean, I, I in my lifetime, I don't remember a time where we've shut the economy down and, and dumped a bunch of money out into it. So that's a little different situation. But I think trying to... Now, you're talking about the pandemic. The pandemic, yeah, uh, You know, yeah. that's a great point. The pandemic is, the, you know, 100 years. Yes. We don't have pandemics. So it, not unprecedented. It's, <laughs> it's not unprecedented. But just a long time. <laughs> things that have never happened before happen all the time. Uh, that's right. Exactly. So I, I do think that in, in many ways that's a little different. I kind of liken it to coming out of World War II. I mean, there was a lot of transition, a lot of adjustment after that period, you know, for the war effort, a lot of manufacturing had to be retooled for the war effort, and then we end that, and all of a sudden we've got to you know change everything. We have all these people coming home. They we had to jobs. start making washing machines. That was a big adjustment. So this is kind of like that. I don't I don't think we walk away from this unscathed and and without any effects, but I think we're navigating it the best we can. Uh, now the spending, I, I do agree with Rusty. It, it is unsustainable. I was looking just at net interest expense alone. You look at it in twenty twenty. Our government spent about $332 billion on net interest expense, and, and last year it was more than $730 billion, so more than double just in interest expense to service the debt. That's just money that's really just going out the door just to service what's out there. So that money has to either, we either have to raise taxes, cut spending, or grow. Uh, I don't see any other way out of a situation like that. Now, hopefully... There's a lot of growth in that. Last time we had a balanced budget was back at the end of uh, the 90s, 98 to 2001, the Clinton era. We had a lot of growth going on then. We had technology, the the Internet boom, and maybe we see another boom like that and we can grow our way out of this. But I think, uh, you know, if we don't see growth, then we either have to cut spending and reduce uh, either cut spending and reduce taxes or some combination thereof. And that means, you know, there's a lot of adjustments that have to be made to make those kind of decisions. I was reading something recently just about it, you know, going back. And I like to read history. So I was reading about the Depression and saying, okay, what is about the Depression and now are are relatable? And, and, you know, it's not. There's nothing. I mean, there's not. Because if you look at the what I a lot of economists in this particular read I was reading, and it was actually I can't remember who published it, but it was a guy from Yale that had written the article, and I thought it was excellent. And I cannot remember his name, so I'm sorry. But uh, I think what it was saying was we didn't spend. The consumer stopped spending at the beginning of this recession, and instead of the government reacting by putting money out there for them, they reacted by restricting money and raising rates. Absolutely the opposite. A lot of bad policy decisions. Boy, just terrible policy. And, you know, it's funny that you that you bring that up. My wife and I were talking about that. We're talking about post-depression area and how people kind of act while that. And then it came up, she started going, it was kind of like, you know, during COVID. I said, whoa, well, let me, uh, whoa. I was like, yeah, during COVID, it was a little tough. You went to the grocery store, maybe you couldn't find the exact, exact. item you wanted. Exactly. But we could get food. Yeah, so it, it wasn't, I, I'm like, let's be careful with those comparisons. <laughs> yes, it's rough by our standards. Yes. But trust me, we haven't experienced anything like that. And he made that then. point, actually. He said, you know, hey, we're. we're we're in some some must do situations, but we're not in trouble. Trouble, I mean, right? You know, we're right. not going to. And crash. we have the largest economy in the world, and yeah, uh, it's, it's growing. To be you continue to when you to. look at growth. If you have a, like, let's just take a three point five percent growth rate own how many trillion dollars? Right, right. I mean, a, a lot. lot. That's a huge number when you start. I mean, twenty three trillion dollar economy. 
And, uh, you know, that's, we just need to think about that. And, and, and he, he ended he ended making that point, which I'm glad yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and you use the word resilient, and that's what I always say. Boy, America does a great job on our backs against the wall, and I, and I don't think we're at crisis level yet. So I don't know if we get a solution to this tomorrow. But I do think that when our back's against the wall, when, when it comes down to it, we'll make some decisions that we have to make and, and work our way out of this. I'm confident in that. I, I have faith in the... I still have faith in the system uh, that was put forth to that designed this country to work this process out over time. It's a little tough right now. There's a lot of, you know, partisanship is, is high, but I think we'll we'll get together when our backs are against the wall. Yeah, and I just uh, looked up the name of that article that was Stephen Roach, and he is a faculty member at Yale, Yale University. So, uh, you know, he's credible. And the point, uh, well, Yale, never mind, I won't go there. Uh, <laughs> he's credible. He's, he's credible. credible. But I, I, you know, I think it's important to know history and understand mm-hmm. history and yet understand that we, you know, don't try to forecast. And, and the article right. that he had written was really about the idea of forecasting. And uh, I, I think that's where we have to be careful. Trying to, because, I mean, we're not, as, as Rusty said, the, the numbers that we're looking at today don't always tell us exactly what's going on. So let's do this. I want to shift. And Jason, I want you to lead in this discussion because pitfalls of investing start off very, I mean, one of the things that you talk about and then when you do this, I mean, this is a great, you know, seminar that you do. And the reality is in believing that investing is a smooth ride. That's your number one mistake. Yeah, I love that we're talking about the things that we're talking about today, given that these are some points that you want to talk about. I mean, I think believing that the that investing is a smooth ride starts. And Scott, I think you'll agree with me here that it starts with just a conversation with your advisor. I mean, you it, that needs to be something that you understand, whether you're just starting out saving money or you're investing in your 401k or you have a lump sum to invest is to understand that the market isn't going to just be this beautiful straight line. I think that's absolutely well said. And and it's one of the reasons, one of the top three reasons that I think investors fail is unrealistic expectations about that volatility. I know you and I, Jim, when we sit down with a client, one of the things we do, especially if they don't have a lot of experience investing, is we talk about, hey, we may be sitting here in six months and we're down 20%. What what are we doing in that situation? And that's really managing expectations. Managing expectations, because it's a reality. And we are going to go through volatility. It's not maybe, or, or we might. Now, I don't know the timing. I don't know the reason. I don't know when, but I know we're going to go through that just from looking at history. So it doesn't make sense not to set that expectation on the front end. I think for some people that is uh, more difficult because I, I, I think we are willing, I mean, we been through that multiple times. Right. You know, we go back in our long history of working with people and working through tough times. And I think if I can understand the expectations, I am better equipped when it, when, you know, if I wake up at, you know, two o'clock in the morning, am I worrying about my investment portfolio because it's down 20% or do I immediately go back to sleep? Yeah. And it's not to say that there's nothing that you can do with those up and downs. You should be looking at it, but you should also understand that some retreat in the market, some increase in the market is, that's a prediction. It's going to go up, it's going to go down. And when you see uh, situations where you have your portfolio take a, a, a decline in value, it doesn't mean you necessarily need to just ignore it, but there may be some minor things that you can do during that time and talk to your advisor to understand what are some things that we can do during this that makes sense. Don't retreat because even Rusty, we all talked about this, that long-term the market has a historical tendency 
to go up. You know, that's uh, he mentioned regardless of which party is running the White House and, you know, what Absolutely. You know, it's the, the market. And the reason for that, and Scott, we talk about this all the time, we invest in the great companies Absolutely. of America. And, and these management teams are innovative and they figure out a way to protect capital in tough times and invest that capital in boom times and that, they create the stuff we like to buy. And if they don't, they don't last. They don't That's last. That's right. And I right. think our listeners can relate to this just because it's the most recent thing uh, is the pandemic that we had. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, it, you know, I think that uh, they put out that the Dow Jones had lost 37% of its value uh, at the onset of COVID. Uh, and by November, it was back to its, you know, pre-pandemic you know, values. So that's something to, to be and to consider when you're looking at investing is that, you know, that things do happen, unprecedented things do happen, but when they do happen, that the tendency is for the market to recover and rebound and you just got to hold on and wait for that. I know we talk about that a lot of times, you know, with our clients. We actually, when we're, you know, doing a projection for them and working through that process, and of course, our philosophy is always for, especially somebody who's retired, you don't want to outlive your money. So right. our focus is helping them understand what if the market is down? You know, what if the, you know, the stock market or, or your portfolio is down 10, 20, 30 percent? Am I going to outlive my, mar- you know, my, my dollars? Am I going to end up, you know, being 90 and run out of money? Well, that's anybody's dread. Nobody wants that. And so when we do that, we walk through that process and we take money out, but we don't actually put it back in. We just say the worst case scenario is you lose it. And, you know, we all know that the market does rebound. And that's what we try to help them understand. Here's the worst case scenario. You're not going to outlive your money. Stress testing your money like that with an advisor is probably one of the best things that you can do. Just see what would happen. What if? Running these what if scenarios to see what kind of pressure is your investment really under. You know, and again, I want to remind everybody, Jason, you mentioned the Dow. The Dow is an unmanaged index. People know that. It's just 50 stocks in reality. Or not 50 stocks. How many stocks? Is it 30? 30. 30. Yeah. See, I was out I think 30. 30. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and it's generally a representative of performance of larger companies in the United States. And uh, note that, you know, please note that you cannot invest directly in the Dow. And that's important for people to know that. So, all right. We've covered one pitfall. And I think we've covered it well. It's not a smooth ride. Don't think it is. Manage expectations. Understand that it moves up and down. And manage your, you know, your sleep factor. We talk about that, which is really kind of number two that I want to talk about is the idea behind managing risk in your portfolio. How do you manage risk? And that is so important. Jason, what's your thoughts? Well, I think there's two big things to look at risk. One, to look at your real-time horizon and two, to look at what your money is, how your money is actually allocated. You see this a lot in uh, some of our clients that have 401ks, uh, and then they have alt- other investments outside of their 401k. One, when you're selecting your investments in a 401k, sometimes it's hard. You get put on the spot. You're asked to check off the boxes that you want to invest in, and it's hard to know exactly what it is. And you often see people who's long-term retirement investments are not in alignment with their real risk tolerance. So I think one, doing some assessment to see what kind of risk you have and making sure that your investments are in alignment with your personal risk factor. You know, Scott, when we go through and we're asking those questions about risk, I mean, that is everybody needs to identify their individual risk tolerance. And so you have a couple comes in and you've got 
you know, let's say the husband's risk tolerance is a 10. He, he, he goes crazy. <laughs> He's off the chart. And yeah. she is a four. Yeah. They've got to figure out how they're going to invest their money. And that's right. sometimes a challenge. Yeah. And, you know, there's no perfect tool for evaluating risk tolerance. And, and sometimes, you know, you can you can give somebody some of these questionnaires we use to try to come up with it. You know, if, if we're going through a, a downturn in the market, they may answer one <laughs> oh, way. Yeah. If we're in a good momentum upswing, they may answer another way. So we try to dig a little deeper into that. And, and you're exactly right with a couple they have to be able to be in this together. So, you know, if you've got one, like you said, that's off the charts, one that's very conservative, we have to try to come in the middle so that they can both feel good about the investment plan and stick with it. That's the most important thing is, you know, you can't be in an investment allocation that's going to cause you to bail out of the market when we go through tough times because you're just down too much. Well, that's, I, that's critical. I think you're so right. And I think one of the things that we talked about this, Jason, you talk about this, is are they too heavily invested in one one asset? And that sometimes when they, you know, whether it's an individual and he's got a, a you know, kind of a, a, a opinion, he wants to think about this particular idea. He, this, this, he wants to invest in that stock. And that's sometimes okay, but they can get too heavily invested in that one stock. And that's going to be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but I, you really do see this. And if our listeners are out there and they have multiple, uh, multiple investment portfolios, you really do see where they can have a bunch of overlap and they can make them uh, heavily invested in technology or energy. And they, and they well, don't we even see really that a lot too. Yeah. We really yeah, do. When really we do an analysis of somebody's portfolio, it's amazing that they can be 10, 15, 20% of their portfolio can lean in one direction. And they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to buy multiple things. They're trying to pick multiple uh, investment accounts or mutual funds or, uh, or stocks, but they just, they haven't done a deep enough analysis to realize that, oh my goodness, I've got 15% in real estate and right. I probably shouldn't have that much. Yeah, I think it's important for, you know, I want to remind everybody too, remember that asset allocation, we talk about asset allocation a lot. It's an approach to help you manage investment risk. But it does not uh, offer you any type of guarantee against investment loss. And I think you need to understand that. Asset allocation is important, but it's only to help you manage your investment risk. And that's so critical. And I think, again, we're talking about the sleep factor. If I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning... Am I waking up because the market was down 20% the day before? If you're waking up I'm at 2 o'clock in the morning. No, I'm just, <laughs> if you're out there listening and you're waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to check your portfolio, chances are you need to talk to anybody. You may be too <laughs> too heavily invested. You may have an issue. Yeah, you <laughs> may you may have something you want to talk All about. Right, but that happens. Yes, that it happens. does. Yes, um, it does. You know, and making those quick decisions, Scott made a comment earlier that, you know, I think is good to, to park on a bit, but making those decisions when you're at 2 a.m., uh, that's not the time to make those decisions. Or after you've watched the evening news. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All right. We've covered number one, believing that the investor, if you're an investor, that it's a smooth ride. We've said, nope, it's volatile. Just understand it is volatile. It's going to continue to be volatile. There's ups and the downs and be able to handle those ups and downs and then have, you know, manage your risk. And uh, maybe you need to do some asset allocation and that's important. Know your risk tolerance. But guys, let me ask you, this. Here's that person that is waking up, as you just said, at two o'clock in the morning, and they've decided they are taking too much risk. So now they completely swing the pendulum and they move over to 
too, too little. little risk. Yeah, absolutely. That is that can absolutely happen. Uh, you tend to see that when people are you know, a little nervous or a little anxious, or they've watched the news or they've heard something, you'll, you'll see that happen this year, uh, during an election year where people have, you know, some sort of expectation that if one party or the other wins, that things are going to be bad. I love what Rusty said. We tend to put too much emphasis on that, you know, but, uh, you can go the wrong way and are the opposite way. And, you know, you have, if you're investing for the long term, you have to give your money at least a chance to outpace inflation, uh, to offset any tax consequence that you may be creating with your investments. So going to taking too little risk can be just as damaging as taking too much. Scott, when we talk to in an individual couple that's coming in and they're retired or they're thinking about retiring in the next 10 years, they're building a portfolio, we're helping them build a portfolio. We talk about risk and we talk about being too conservative, but we do something. And Jason, you mentioned it earlier, the whole idea between testing, really stressing a portfolio. Why do we do that? I think it's all about setting those proper expectations. You know, when you talk about somebody who is not comfortable with risk at all and they want to take too too little risk, well, going back to our objective, we want to make sure they don't outlive their money, right? And not outliving money is not about maintaining principles, it's about maintaining purchasing power. And, and Jason mentioned inflation. That's one of the key things we have to outrun with a long-term portfolio. So, most people, now there, there's a few out there that can probably afford to not take any risk and still be okay, but most people need some access to those risk assets in order to maintain that purchasing power over their lifetime. In other words, to grow that money to outpace inflation. So I think that... You know, sometimes we have to educate them on that. They may not be completely comfortable with that, but that's where we come alongside them and help them walk through those tough times and say, hey, we're going to be here for you. But we have to manage this money for the long term and make sure that you don't outlive your money and you can still go and do the things you want to do. I recently had someone to ask me this, and I want you to kind of both of you guys to talk about this real quick because I, we just got a few minutes left. But what do we do? What happens when somebody asks us a tough question like that and we know we need to kind of smooth it over? Are we brutally honest with them or do we give them a little bit of that sugar-coated answer? Well, I think you have to bring up some some history of the market. You can bring up some things. I don't think we sugarcoat it. I don't think we sugarcoat it on the front end. I don't think we, we try, ever We do try that. to set that expectation because, I mean, we don't shy away from tough times in the market. I mean, that is one of the things that you and I both agree on is we want to communicate during those tough times. We want to help guide our clients through those tough times. So we don't, we don't shy away from those tough conversations. But I think you can look back at history. You can grab some data that can help you feel a little little more comfortable. Let's go back to the pandemic. I mean, when it hit, it was a lot of uncertainty. I mean, you looked around and go, wow, wow. have we been through this before? But you know, what I do is take a deep breath and go look and say, well, we've been through a lot. We made it through World War II. We made it through the Cuban Missile Crisis, Y2K, all these things. And go, we will make it through this. It's a little different, but we'll get through it. And I think doing the stress testing does require a bit of brutal honesty because I think people out there when it comes to investing their money would rather know, can I be prepared to make some lifestyle adjustments if I have to, 
if I'm going to wake up at two o'clock in the morning because the only way I'm going to be able to retire comfortably at my current lifestyle is to invest this money to grip and rip and just white knuckle this thing until retirement, it would be much easier to 10 years before then start to make some lifestyle adjustments and to understand, okay, this is the, the portfolio that I have. This is the investments that I'm putting in. What type of adjustments do I need to make so that I don't have to put that much pressure on my investment portfolio to to out not outlive my money. Well said. That's that is. I'm gonna close with that. That's very well said. Very well. Good good communication. So we've covered believing that there's not an investment smooth ride. It's going to be volatile. You need to know that. That's understandable. Also reminded that you're going to take some risk and take a little risk. Don't get too conservative and understand risk is a part of any investment. And I guess closing it out. You know, don't be an emotional investor. We talk about that. A lot. I want to thank my guests, of course, Rusty Leonard, Jason Harrington, and Scott Jordan. They've done a great job. If you'd like to talk to Scott or Jason, just give him a call at 901-757-5757. You can find Talk Money on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. You can also find us on Newstalk989.com, Facebook, or ShoemakerFinancial.com. Click on Stay Connected and you can listen to the program again. If you have questions, send them to Jim, J-I-M, to the text line, 901-683-0989. Next week, I've got a guest you don't want to miss. He's from the Robinwood community, and you know he is part of a group of people that really help our senior citizens. His name is David Bodine. Scott will be back with Fundamentals, and Drew Johnson here is going to be talking some more about the economy. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 9 a.m. I want to thank my producer, Maximilian and Tyler Springs. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production and marketing assistant, Lauren Norsworthy. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.